Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity you give us this morning to, uh, to come and worship. And yeah, thank you for Justin and Lisa leading us in worship this morning. And um, yeah, just helping us center our lives and our, and our hearts on you. Um, God, you're, you're, our, you're our perfect provision in every single way at every single time. And so, God, we thank you for that. And God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it, uh, to be encouraged and strengthened by it. Um, Lord, we thank you that, that every word of it is useful uh, for teaching and training, rebuking, correcting, and righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped for the work you've given us to do. And, uh, and so thank you for that. Even from Judges 15, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would um, speak this morning, encourage our hearts, and, and challenge us to, uh, to know our position before you, Lord, and, and to go forth boldly in the things you've called us to do and accomplish in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm not going to read through the whole passage. We'll just kind of go through it as we go here. I've got quite a few verses to share at the, at the end of things. So um, just going to kind of set up our time here. So we're in Judges uh, chapter 15. So we've gone through two chapters out of the four chapters of Samson so far, uh, the Samson story that is so far. Uh, chapter 13, if you remember, um, just for a little review, is uh, when the angel of the Lord came and he appeared to Manoah and his wife. Um, and told them that they were going to have a baby, even though Manoah's wife had been barren for some time, um, and that this baby was to be set apart as a Nazarite unto the Lord. And so uh, we saw that his parents you know, took up that call, uh, were very inquisitive about like, what that meant and how to engage with that, sought the Lord on that and said, Lord, like, what is to be his manner of life? What is his mission? How are we to do this? Um, so that was chapter 13. Um, we saw in chapter, uh, chapter 14 that uh, Samson says to his parents, please go get this wife for me from among the Philistines, from Temna. And his parents are confused because they're told by the Lord that Samson is to be risen up to save Israel from the Philistines. And so it could be very confusing for your son who's supposed to save you out from under the oppression of the Philistines to desire a wife from the Philistines, and yet the scripture says that the Lord had a purpose in this, that this was actually not something that was just uh, unique to Samson and his flesh, that the Lord had a purpose in allowing this desire to be in Samson for this woman uh, from the Philistines. Um, and one of the things we saw with that is that the interpretation we're taking is that the Israelites are getting worse throughout Judges. Like, they're, they're getting worse and worse as we progress. And so one of the key things we've seen in that is that as we've come to the Philistines, with the Philistines, when they came in power over Israel, we have no record of the Israelites crying out to the Lord under this oppression. Every other oppressor, the Israelites as a people, come together and call out to the Lord, cry out to him in, uh, uh, for his mercy. Not in repentance, we don't see that play out, unfortunately, but we do see them cry out to the Lord every time but not with the Philistines. They've, flown, they've uh, drifted so far away from who their God is that they don't even call out to the Lord. And the Lord comes to speak to Manoah and his wife and, and to then raise Samson uh, as a set-apart, as a Nazarite. Um, so we're taking this view that Samson actually doesn't ever break his Nazarite vow, or doesn't break his Nazarite vow in a, uh, in a, a final sense. Uh, we did see that you can actually break your Nazarite vow and then reestablish it and continue to walk in it. So that's part of the, uh, the 
kind of the, the process of walking through the Nazarite vow. You can restore that vow and continue on in your commitment. Uh, so even if he had small slip-ups or small things that he came across that, that he needed to purify himself again and continue in his vow, he could have done that. Um, and so we've been looking through this uh, time of Samson and looking at some of these major stories, and we have to ask this question, um, is Nazarite, as maybe you traditionally understand, a violent brute who's acting in rage, um, or is he actually a righteous man that's trying to follow the way of the Lord and the Lord's call on his life? Um, is he perfect in that? No, but I do think he's the latter, that he is actually trying to follow the Lord, that he is actually trying to uh, follow this vow that he's been given. Either interpretation lands you at this place where God is the faithful one. In spite of all that's going on, God is the Savior. And you'll, I think, part of the evidence that maybe Samson knows this, is that he proclaims that this salvation that is given today is from the Lord. He knows where it's come from. So we're dealing with throughout this um, some of these key, key events, and, and I'm going to give you reasons why. I think these are uh, things that, that don't disqualify Samson as being uh, this, don't, don't qualify Samson as being this evil person, uh, but rather qualify him as someone that's just trying to figure it out, uh, just trying to follow the Lord and be faithful to the call that's been given to him. Okay, so Judges chapter 15, verse 1. After some days, so, you, so what happened at the very end of chapter 14 is that uh, Samson had lost a wager with the Philistines, and in that wager he had to give 30 garments to the Philistines, and he procured those garments from the stronghold of the Philistines, um, went to the, like a stronger area of the Philistines' territory and, and killed 30 men and took their garments, which is like their livelihood, the, the symbol of their property, and gave it to these, uh, quote, companions that are guards. You're remembering this, that, that they gave Samson at the wedding 30 guards. Uh, they're not like friends. They're not like chummy. They're actually there to make sure he doesn't do anything evil against the Philistines, okay? So Samson goes and, and gives them these, uh, these garments uh, in this wager. And at the end of uh, fulfilling that wager, his payment for the wager, he's in anger. And it says he's in hot anger, and he leaves the wedding and goes to his father's house. And so at the end of the last chapter, we saw him leaving his wedding, okay, on probably the final day of the wedding, leaving the wedding and going to his father's house. And so Judges 15.1 says, after some days at the time of wheat harvest, we don't know how many days some days is, probably a very long time. Okay, like a decent time. I'm, I'm going to guess like months, maybe three to six months it's been since the wedding. Um, we don't have a real clear answer on that. Just many days. It's changed, har changed to harvest time. So a season has passed. And after this time, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into, the, into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. Okay, so... You know, if you walk out on your wedding, I guess maybe making amends is, uh, is bringing back a young goat. You know, maybe that's a really endearing thing to bring back. Um, and actually, the, the, the normal interpretation of this passage is that, oh yeah, he's trying to make amends to his wife, uh, that, oh, I'm sorry I ran away, I'm giving this gift to my wife. I want to actually challenge that interpretation, um, that the person he's actually going to here is the father. Um, the communication that comes in verse 2 is not with his wife. He actually brings a goat 
and it says, to the father, I believe, I will go into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go. Verse 2, and her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. The conversation that's happening with Samson is between him and his father-in-law. And so I think what's happening here with the goat is that he's bringing this goat to his father-in-law and saying, listen, I was to marry your daughter at the previous season. And like you took care of her from that time until now. And so, you know, we look at animals as like, I don't know, obscure or whatever. Like this is like you provided for my wife for months when I should have been providing for my wife. And so in my eyes, you've got Samson bringing a young goat to the father and saying, I'm ready to consummate my marriage with your daughter and I've brought this young goat. Thank you for taking care of her over these many months. And like, let's move forward. But the father has given his daughter away to the, the it's the best man of the wedding, but it's really like the chief guard over Samson, okay? These are enemies, all right? Um, so this is, uh, this is what's happening. A couple things to mention in this. In the ancient Near East, the time of betrothal and the time of nuptials are a little bit more important, okay? So the betrothal period in the ancient Near East could have been months, like many months ahead of a wedding, okay? But during the betrothal period, that person is your wife. You have to actually like divorce from them in order to end the betrothal. It's like a formal process. Like here, you know, you get engaged, right? You might get engaged to uh, your fiance. And during that time, you have no legal obligation to that person. Okay, you, you guys could call it off at any time, right? And you come up to the wedding, and at that point, you've legally bound yourselves together and come in before God. And the ancient Near East thinking, that's not the case. Once you are betrothed, you've been given. You are the wife and husband uh, to one another. And so Samson, when we talk about this woman being his wife, yeah, like she's his wife. However, the nuptials and the consummation has not happened. That's why he's pretty specific about this language when he says, I will go into my wife in the chamber. I'm not just going in to be with her. I'm going to become one with her for the first time is the idea. And so her father says, no, 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 no. I've, uh, I've already given him away. I've given her away to, to the best man from your wedding. Um, so his father would not allow it. And uh, he actually then offers to Samson... Uh, the younger sister, who he describes as more beautiful. And so this is, a, you know, I mentioned it last week, but this is part of my contention with the arguments against Samson, that he is just uh, going after the flesh and just uh, a violent character. I mean, the father is offering her a more beautiful prize, and he says, no, <laughs> I'm not, it's not about the visual for me. It's about this wife that I said, I think she's right in my eyes. He says, that's, that's not it. I, ha I have been given a wife, and, and my wife is your daughter, whom you gave away to this companion. And we'll talk some more about that uh, in a minute. So Samson says, when his father says, I've actually truly given him over to your companion, or her over to your companion, he says in verse 3, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. And when we read that, this time I shall be innocent, the, the sense is not like, I wasn't innocent when I uh, did the prior things, but rather like <laughs> I'm even more justified. It's not contrastive, it's comparative, okay? So it's like 
as I was justified in going down against Ashkelon, I am even more so justified now as I go against, uh, against the Philistines in this action. And so he's this, he says, this time I'll be even more innocent regarding the Philistines when I do them harm. <clears throat> so, verse 4, Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. And then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Whew. Wow. So a lot of fire happening. Scary, right? Right? Claire's like, what in the world is going on here, right? Yeah, intense. Um, so foxes, just to get this piece uh, out, we, I mean, it might really be 300. The word can be used for 30, but it, we don't have any reason to believe it's not 300. We just, you know, this is a thing. So we do think that the word for foxes can also be used for jackals. Not that it makes it any more miraculous, honestly, but jackals were apparently herd hunters. They weren't solo like foxes. Solo foxes kind of hunt alone and kind of are lone, lone rangers, so to speak, I guess, uh, whatever that is. Um, <clears throat> but jackals, <clears throat> they stay in herds. And so a jackal and a fox both are very abundant in this area. Um, and a jackal, you'd be, it'd be easier to catch basically a group of jackals together rather than foxes. Uh, anyway, so miraculous story. He, again, in a like strange way, uh, takes, uh, takes um, um, charge over the Philistines and, and by burning their grain, right? So he takes 300 jackals or foxes, whatever they are, ties them together, 150 pairs, and lets them loose, right? So they cannot control the direction they're going, and they just run over the grain, uh, the stacked grain, and these olive, uh, olive fields. So the Philistines are, you know, ticked off, and they are looking for who has done this. And upon investigation, they realize, listen to the wording, it's Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. Okay, so the Philistines are looking at Samson and recognizing it was that guy that was at the wedding, like, this is Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. They recognize that the bond was there, right? They recognize that they are joined in marriage, and the reason they believe that Samson did this is because he has taken his wife and given, it, given her to his companion. So they also know that what happened was Samson's father-in-law gave his wife over to the best man from the wedding. Um, and I just want to point out in this that you can, you can actually go read uh, the Code of Hammurabi, which is like the prevailing code of the time in the ancient Near East of like moral code, okay? And if you go back to the code of Hammurabi and go to section, it's like sentence 161, okay? It is explicitly prohibited, okay, to give any wife to the, the specifically the best man of a wedding, okay? It was abhorrent to do that. And, and so this is exactly what happens. And the Philistines are looking at the Timnite and going, why did you break our law? Like, you broke our law. And because you broke our law, Samson did this to us. And so they, they think this is atrocious, atrocious enough that they actually go and burn her and her father. 
brutal. So you can see it kind of escalating. Samson is now even more mad, right? Because now this bride that was his is has been killed. And so verse 7, it says this, Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I'll be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. We don't really know about this idiom, hip and thigh, um, and, and what's the intention of it being described. It may be just describing that, that Samson again attacked them in a victorious manner. That's like a possible explanation, but we don't know like how that happened. Like it was a whole other battle and he like attacked them um, or something, but after he attacks them once more, he goes down and, and hides in the rock of Edom. Okay, so Samson's hiding in the rock of Edom, and after this, uh, the Philistines come up against the people of Israel. Uh, verse 9, Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. And so, 3,000 men from Judah go down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. I want you to catch that uh, the Israelites are, as this whole group of Judahites, right? 3,000 men come to, uh, come to Samson and don't inquire about like what the situation was. They just know that they're feeling uncomfortable now because the Philistines are mad at them. And they're saying, the Philistines are our rulers. Not only are they not crying out to the Lord, they're subjecting themselves to the Philistines as rulers. They're saying, these are our rulers. Is not the Lord the ruler of Israel? And so he says to them, as they did to me, so I've done to them. Basically saying, I was justified in what I did, and even the Philistines seem to in indicate that. So verse 12, they said to him, we have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. As, Phil, as, uh, as he's brought up to Lehi, just continue on in verse 14 to 17, uh, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Okay? So he's being delivered by 3,000 of his own countrymen into whatever, a plain of some kind where the Philistines are gathered. And as they put Samson out there, the Philistines charge this one man, shouting at him, yelling at him, right? And verse 14 continues and says, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The ropes that were on his arm became as flax that has been caught, in, caught on fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, um, which we think this is like uh, a bone that hasn't yet become brittle. So it might not have like carcass on it, but it's also not been old enough to be brittle. So it's like a nice hard bone for whacking people with, okay? It's like the perfect jawbone is in his hand, right? Um, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, put out his hand and took it, and with it struck down a thousand men. 
And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a thousand men. And as soon as he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and he called that place uh, Ramath Lehi, um, which is the hill of the jawbone. So, very, very smart guy. Good, good naming conventions here. So, <clears throat> okay, so Samson is now uh, set on fire the standing grain with foxes, has struck the Philistines with a, a mighty blow called hip and thigh, you know, a victorious blow against them. And now he's come against them and uh, destroyed a thousand men with a the, with the jawbone, right? And so now we see he's, uh, he's wiped out. Uh, he's tired, actually. I, kn- and I know it may be surprising, but after this, he's, he's tired. Uh, verse 18 says this. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God, verse 19, split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out of it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called Enhakor. It is at Lehi today. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. Um, so working through this passage this week, I uh, was like, how do, you take, how do you take foxes and jawbones and, and like clefts in the rock, all this stuff, and like apply this forward to, to where we're at? You know, it's just like, man, just like war stories is basically what this chapter is. It's a bunch of war stories of Samson. And um, so I really struggle with like what, we, what we're supposed to land on with this. But um, I think the Lord wants to challenge us with a few things. And, um, and I'm going to walk through them. There's, there's three or four things that I think the Lord wants to draw out from this as we reflect on what Samson has done and how the Lord has used him against the Philistines. Um, just, you know, remember, step back for context. God rose up Samson to defeat the Philistines. And so when we see him coming against the Philistines over and over and over again, like the Spirit of the Lord in many of these cases rushes on him to accomplish that which he desired to do. Uh, the, the Lord gave Samson this desire for this wife of the Philistines. And, and why? Well, he couldn't find a righteous woman among Israel right? That's really the reason. There's no one that's seeking the Lord. It's a judgment against Israel itself that these things are happening. And so the Lord is at work in Samson's life, and I think there's some things that we can challenge ourselves with as we reflect on uh, how the Lord has used Samson uh, against the Philistines. And the first thing is this, to remember and to remind ourselves of this very simple fact. The Lord has chosen you. You're chosen. You are chosen by the Lord. Okay? Um, In the same way, in the very same way that the Lord, the angel of the Lord, showed up to Manoah and his wife and told them their son would begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines, in just as miraculous a fashion, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, gave himself on a Roman cross for the atonement and sin of the world. He has chosen you. If you're breathing, okay, you're chosen. God is after your heart, 
Can I decide who's in, who's out, whatever? Listen, I don't want to even debate any of that. I just want you to know that Christ has died for you. Amen. The Lord has chosen you. You need to hear this, that he is coming after you with all that he's got. With his very son, he's come after you. And so the Lord chose you, and he's calling you to respond to him in repentance and faith, repenting of your sinful nature before a holy God and calling on Christ as your only Savior and Lord. It is miraculous to look back at Samson's life and go, he shouldn't exist. Like there wasn't anybody calling on the Lord at all at the time. And the Lord comes to Manoah and his wife and says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. I know you're barren, but I'm doing something. Even though Israel will not call out to me, I have found a couple, and I'm going to give them a baby that's going to come up and raise, raise them up from the Philistines. It is just as powerful, just as miraculous that he would send his son, even more so, right, that he would send his son to come and die for us. The Lord has chosen you. It's easy to move on, like, past that fact in our lives, but the truth is we need that truth in our heart every single day. We need to remember that, like, God, he's completely coming after me. He wants my whole heart. He wants my whole life. And he, he knows everything about me. He knows my past. He knows my brokenness. He knows my uh, difficult way in which I follow him. And yet still, he has chosen me. Yet while I was an enemy, while I was a sinner, he chose me. Second, the Lord has equipped you with talent as a means of provision and worship. Okay, he hasn't just left you here not knowing what you're supposed to do any given day. He's actually provided for you things that you are able to do. He's given you talents as a means of provision, as a means of worship. When we look at Samson and think about the talents of Samson, I don't know if anybody knows how to like <laughs> tear apart a lion with their bare hands or like uh, tie up jackals and send them into standing grain. I mean, God gave Samson some talents, okay? Like, I don't, I don't know if, what your thought is about Samson, but I feel like this is a talented individual that can pretty much take anything and go to war with it, okay? We got a donkey, like a donkey, uh, uh, what is it? Jaw? Jawbone? Yeah, yeah. We can go ahead and take out a thousand men with his don donkey jawbone, okay? Like, he was a very resourceful individual. He was able to take very little, a lot of lemons, okay? A lot of lemons and make some serious lemonade, okay? And so, yeah, you may be looking at yourself going, well, I don't know what God's given me. <laughs> like, if you've got a jawbone sitting around, you can do some work, okay? Um, I was always uh, encouraged when I graduated high school, um, one of my parents' friends was in the concrete industry and had actually become very successful in concrete forms business. And he gave me, as a, as a graduation gift, a shovel. Right? And there's two good things about that, right? Like, one... You can always find work, okay? If you, if you can work a shovel, okay, if you're willing to work a shovel, you can always find work. And two, you don't want to work with a shovel, right? Like, this is not where I want to be, but it is a reminder that even if things are hard, I can find a way, right? And that is a grace. That is a mercy from God that he's equipped you with talents and abilities to provide in a way that is worshipful. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 uh, to 12 says, Man, 
For when we were with you, we gave you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we encourage and we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. God has given us all we need to put our hands to the plow and work. And does it you know, produce the fruit that we expect? Maybe, maybe not, okay? But let's just not, not just sit back and go like, oh, I wonder what, what we're going to do. Seek the Lord and ask how he would put you to work. And listen, we all go through all kinds of very challenging seasons where we don't know what, where the work is going to come from or how we're going to get there or like if we're even allowed to work, right? Like if we're even allowed to work at the time, right? And we walk through these very difficult things. But man, let's not be idle in that. The call to our hearts is to find where God is providing for us and how he is touching us to go forward and move and work. Samson didn't have a lot to draw on. Not a lot of community, not a lot of uh, resources, but God used him in a mighty way and gave him talents to do so. Inner work, we've got to work with fear and trembling. Ephesians uh, 6, 5 and 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, rendering service with a good a will as to the Lord and not to man. And whatever it is the Lord has given you to do, do it unto the Lord's glory. Samson's call was to come against the Philistines. And, and he looked for those opportunities as they came up. And I think God was molding and shaping him in the midst of that too. Third thing that I think we take from Samson's life. The Lord desires to partner with you as we draw near to him. Our desires are molded and shaped into desires that align with his. I don't think Samson knew that when he uh, went among uh, the Timnites and saw this woman that he's like, she seems right in my eyes. I'm attracted to this woman, and you know, it's more than just physical beauty. It's something deeper than that. It's a real draw that, that has been given to me, right? God put that desire in him. Okay, we've talked about it in the marriage study, right? The Lord has brought together those who are married, for a purpose and a reason. And he's using those relationships in a very purposeful way. Exactly true with Samson and his wife from Timnah. God desired to rise up, raise up an opportunity against the Philistines through this desire. And I think what you see over the course of Samson's life is a continuous, an increased submission unto the Lord doing his will through him. In the same way that the Lord is working in Samson's heart throughout this time, the Lord has also chosen us uh, to be a light of the gospel in the midst of the darkest places on earth. He's actually called us to be co-workers with him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9, if you want to skip down to that. Uh, what then is Apollos, what then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. God has chosen you, okay, He's equipped you with talents and desires, and he has called you a co-worker. 
He, he wants to work in concert with you. He wants to take all these things, these desires and talents and, and a calling that you may have, and he wants to work with you in that. And so often we like get that mixed up, and as soon as we kind of know what the next thing to do is, we just take control of the reins and like do things ourselves. And God's saying, no, I want to be a part of this process, and I'm going to be a part of this process. And, and really, the whole point of me calling to you to do what I've called you to do, yeah, it may be benefit in the kingdom of God, but also, I'm after your heart in this. God is here to be a co-worker with us in the things that he's called us to do and accomplish. And listen, we all know, um, we've been following, there's a lot of people in this room that have been following the Lord for a long time, and we know that, yeah, this is a familiar word, right? God has chosen us. I know that. I've known that for a while now. God's chosen us. Praise God. And, and I got nothing, I got no merit to offer him, you know, <laughs> nothing. And, uh. And I've seen him. I mean, I've seen these things come true. I've seen the Lord equip me for the work. I've seen him provide in circumstances where, like, there's nothing here. Like, I don't have anything. And then all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, you do. Remember, it's me. I'm here laboring with you. And I've even seen him shape, like, my preferences into line with his. And go like, yeah, I can embrace this and enjoy this, even though it's not what I would have expected. And the interesting thing is, knowing all those things, right? Knowing he's called us, knowing he's equipped us, knowing that, that he's working through us and, and all the desires that are within us and, and doing this all together in an, an amazing way, you still come to places, right? where Samson came to, and he's like, thirsty, right? At the end of this passage, okay, all these great things happen. Destroys the Philistines' grain, like, has this huge justice interaction with the father-in-law, uh, destroys a thousand men with a jawbone, and the end of it, he's going, I'm thirsty, are you going to let me die here of thirst in the land of the, uh, the uncircumcised? Cries out to God. You've, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, he says. Samson recognizes what has happened, that it's not in his might. He's saying, God, if you granted this great salvation, then why would you let me thirst here and die and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And I just, I find it funny that people interpret this cry in Samson as one of doubt in the Lord's ability to save. Because I hear a man saying, the truth, Lord, you have granted salvation. And have not any of us ever struggled with where God is going to provide next, even after he gave us such a great victory? I can't tell you the number of times where I've seen God show up, and then the next day, I'm like, you know, uh, what's that, what's that, uh, what's, Winnie the Pooh's donkey, Eeyore. I'm like Eeyore the next day going, oh God, you're never going to help me, right? Right? We do this all the time. And so 
I resonate with Samson crying out to the Lord in a time of post-victory of going like, well, what now, God? And the cool thing is that God shows up to the humble-hearted, okay? He doesn't show up to the proud. He shows up to the humble heart. And so did God not hear his prayer when he cried out? No, God heard his prayer. Verse 19, and God split open the hollow place and water came out of it. He said, son, you know I'm here. And so even when we feel poured out on the task the Lord has given us to do, even in that moment of feeling poured out, God is our salvation and God is our provider. Even in those moments, we can go to him and count on him. And man, I don't know how he's going to provide for you in that moment, if it's going to be like water coming out of a rock, uh, but it will be specific to where your heart's at. I guarantee it. I can't, I mean, I can't really tell you the number of times I've been to that spot and like going, all this great stuff is happening around and yet I'm anxious about so many things. And all it took for me to be at peace was Christy coming to me and saying, look at what God has done. <laughs> is he not the same God? Why don't we stop being anxious and pray? You know? And the peace that transcends all understanding guards my heart and soul in that, right? And so know this morning that, that God has chosen you and he's, he's moving heaven and earth, okay, <laughs> to come after your heart. And he's got a very specific purpose for you this morning and this coming week. And so look for it and have eyes for it, man. And when you get weary this week and when you're like, I don't, I'm just tired and I'm done, guess what? This work that God is allowing you to do is for you to see that he is your provision even then. And as deep as you go in that in the Christian life, he will not fail you. He will continue to give you the provision you need, exactly what you need in every single day. And is it lots of money? Is it uh, the right amount of food or water or shelter or whatever it is? No, it might not be those things. It might simply be him saying, I am here with you now. That might be all he gives you. But I guarantee you it will be enough. And so let's be challenged by Samson um, as he's used by the Lord to come against the Philistines, as he gives the Lord glory in their salvation, and as he sees the Lord respond when he cries out. Let us follow that pattern in our lives too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We're challenged, we're encouraged by it. Um, it's hard to understand some, some of these things that are so culturally distant from where we're at. But God, we know even now and in our day that you are faithful and we have seen you be faithful every, at every turn. We literally thought all these walls would fall down by now, but they haven't. And so we thank you, God. We'll see you continue to work in the way that you work. And we'll be surprised by it over and over and over again. Let us not despair. Let us not lose hope. Let us continue to cling to the rock of our salvation. 
God, I can't imagine the toil that Samson was in when he was sitting in the rock. He just lost his wife at the hand of the Philistines. He probably had no idea what to do. And then, God, you showed up and you rushed upon him again and showed him that you hadn't left him, that you were with him that whole time. And you gave him a great salvation. He gave you glory. So, God, help us to cling to you in the same manner. In the hills and valleys that we face, God, I pray that you would help us to continue to have our eyes on the cross and what you've done for us and accomplished for us there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.